Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 15, or on your electronic device, uh, there is some kind of Wi-Fi around here. I found it earlier. So, uh, John 15, if you want to look at it, that would be great. Because we are in a series, like I said, called Connected, based on John 15. Our theme verse is kind of uh, verse 5, where Jesus is speaking. And he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, or abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from you, me, you can do nothing. So Jesus makes something very powerful, powerfully clear here, that he is the vine, we are the branches, and we were designed to be in relationship with him, abiding, connected in relationship with him, and to stay there, because as we do that, as Jesus said here in John 5, uh, 15, verse 5, as we do that, just like when a branch is connected to the vine, it has growth, it has life, it bears fruit, so we, in our lives, as we abide and stay close and connected to Jesus, we will do the same. We will experience life, we will experience growth, and we will bear fruit fruit and not just a little fruit listen again verse 5 says if a man abides in me and I in him he will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing he will bear much fruit God has a big vision for your life not just a little fruit not meager fruit he wants you to bear much fruit and fruit as we discovered last Sunday is that is actions and attitudes that honor God that will ripple into eternity because if you look at verse 8 it says this this is to my father's glory that again you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples and then down to verse 16 it says that that you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last god wants your life to ripple through eternity listen if you're not following god if you're not staying close and connected to jesus then the actions that you do on this world will stay on this world but god says if you follow me if you stay connected to my son and you obey what he tells you you follow his lead He will give you a life of impact that ripples not only here but into eternity. And who wouldn't want that? God wants that for us. He wants us to stay close and connected to Him again so that we experience growth, life, and much fruit. But then Jesus drops a bomb in talking to His disciples here in verse 9. This is absolutely earth-shaking, stunning, and man, it just knocks the wind out of you, you know, when you read it. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's incredible. I mean, if we could just get this one thing, our lives would totally be different. I I absolutely believe that. Uh, Church fathers in the the ancient uh, past have said the same thing. Great men of God, ancient past, have said the same thing. They said, if I could just get one thing, this would be the thing. To understand how much I am loved by God. Listen, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what we're going to talk about today is what's waiting for you. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is a reality for you and God wants you to experience it. Again, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me. How does the Father love the Son? He loves, first of all, He loves Him perfectly. Okay? There's no lack. All right? It never comes up short. There is no wavering in it. It's perfect. It's complete. Secondly, He loves Him unconditionally. There are no conditions. All right? He doesn't love Him because of what He does or what He doesn't do. He loves Him because of who He is. He's His Son. Then He loves Him eternally. It's never going to stop. 
That is how Jesus loves you. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, this is how Jesus loves you. He loves you perfectly, completely. There is no lack. It's never come, going to come up short. His love for you will never waver, ever. Otherwise, it would not be complete. It's 100% all the time, 24-7. His passion, His love, His commitment to do what is best and right for you. That's what His love is. Secondly, it is unconditional. That means it does not depend upon your, uh, your activity, your actions, any single day. You know, on my good days, Jesus loves me. On my bad days, He doesn't love me quite as much. That's a lie from the enemy. Because Jesus says right here, this is truth. This is what we've got to get into our heads, into our hearts. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Stay close and connected to me so you can experience my love. He says, I love you unconditionally. That means before you get up in the morning to do anything, Jesus says, I love you. On your best days, on your worst days, I love you. It's unconditioned. It's because, not because of what you do or don't do. It's because of who you are, the fact that you belong to me. And eternally, you know what that means? It'll never stop. You will never, listen, get this. You will never, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us and covering our sins and now connecting us with God, as the Father loves him, he loves you eternally. He will never change his mind about loving you, ever. There's nothing you can do that would make him change his mind about, about you. Come on. What would happen if we really believed that? How would our lives be different if we really believed that? Wouldn't our hope just like shoot through the roof? Wouldn't we want to spend time with this person who loves us like that? Wouldn't our commitment just rise to the top? I think so. So why, why don't we? Because I don't think we get this. I don't think I get this sometimes. And you know what? We're not the only ones. If you look throughout the whole Old Testament, God's people on a regular basis didn't get it. I mean, time and time again, he showed them his love, massive displays of his care and concern, his love for them. And so often they had short-term memory and they forgot. And so at one point, God came to one of his prophets and he says, you are going to be a walking, living, breathing public demonstration of my love for my people. I want them to get it. Now, I will just tell you right now, this is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. It has uh, changed my life in many ways, and I'm praying that it will do the same for you. And for those of you who are familiar with the story, I'm praying that God will give you fresh eyes and ears to hear it today. But the story is based on the biblical account of the prophet Hosea. And God came to Hosea and says, you're going to be a demonstration right in front of my people of how much I love them. Hosea said, okay, because he's a prophet. He speaks for God. He does what God says. He says, okay, I'm in. God, what do you want? God says, I want you to go and I want you to marry this woman. Now, this woman had two things going against her, two big things. One, she had a horrible reputation in the town. Horrible. Two, her name was Gomer. Hello, Gomer. <laughs> really? Wow. Wow. All right? I can't really see that. You know, I can't really see, hey, Wes, who are you going out with? It's uh, Goomer. You know, I mean, I can't really get behind that, right? You're not going to find a mug in a, you know, a shop for that. So uh, anyway, right? I mean, that's, uh, wow. But that was, you know, ancient times. So I guess that was uh, an okay name. So anyway, so Jose does. He marries her. And you know what? He falls in love with her. I mean, head over heels in love with her. They raise a family together. They have kids, two boys and a girl. And it's a pretty amazing situation. Based on my study 
of that time period, the cultural uh, ramifications and the cultural practices of that time period, along with the biblical account, I believe the story could have played out something like this. Hosea was out giving the word to people because that's who he was. He was a prophet of God. And I can picture him coming home. He's opening the door. He steps in to, to the home and the kids just run and tackle him. Dad's home. And they tackle him and he, he hugs them. Papa's here. He gives him a big hug. And his wife, who's making, making dinner, she comes over. She pulls the kids off, off of Jose. She says, uh, hey, it's mom's turn. She gets in here. She gives him a big hug. And he clenches her in a big hug. And he's just so thankful. She whispers in his ear, I love you. And he whispers in her ear, I love you so much. And as he's holding one another in a tight embrace, Hosea looks up to God and just says, Lord, thank you so much. Following your will is so wonderful. He had no idea how everything was about to change. He comes home next day, walks through the door instantly. He could tell something was different. There was no meal being cooked. Supper was not cooked. There was no fire. Under, under the stove area where they would cook. The house was dark. No one was running to see him. His heart started to beat. This is unusual. This has never happened before. The house is, is dark in, in every corner and he doesn't hear anyone. So he calls out, hey, dad's home. Doesn't hear anything. He quickly runs outside. He runs around the house. He calls for the kids, calls for his wife. No answer. He runs up and down the street. Have you, seen my, have you seen my kids? Have you seen my family? No answer. He finally runs back into his house. His heart is beating. All of a sudden, he hears something coming from the far corner of the house in the darkened corner, and he has to slow his heartbeat to, to hear, and it's, it's crying. He hears crying. He goes over there, and all of a sudden, he sees his three kids huddled together, and they're crying. They're muffling their cries, but they're crying, and they're crying hard. And so Jose goes, kids, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? They're crying. They can't answer him. Finally, he looks around. He notices his wife's not there. Hey, kids, where's mom? Makes him cry even harder. He finally grabs his oldest son. He picks him up by the shoulders. He shakes him. He looks him in the face. He goes, son, where is your mother? <sighs> Tries to catch his breath. He says, dad, she's gone. He goes, what do you mean she's gone? She, she left us, dad. She, she left you. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. This couldn't be happening. This couldn't be possible. He dropped his, his son. He, he rushed out the house. He, he runs down to the center of town where he knew he could find out if this information was true. And what he found out was more than he bargained for. It was worse than he thought. He found out that his wife was not only running around with one guy. She'd been running around with several guys. And she'd been doing it for a while behind his back. He was crushed. He staggers home. He comes into the house. He gathers his kids up in their arms and they cry together. He looks up at heaven. He says, God, what am I supposed to do now? Time passes. The Bible doesn't say how much time, but I can imagine that he sees her in the marketplace because she doesn't move out of the area. And I can picture him going up to her and saying, Honey, come on, you gotta come home. What are you doing? You gotta come home. The kids miss you. They need you, I need you. And she'd push him away. She was so cold. She wanted nothing to do with him. She'd get away from me. Well, time went by and because of the lifestyle that she was living, he kept, kept an eye on her and she wasn't looking too good. 
She was losing weight. She was looking kind of rough. And so he hatches this plan. I know what I need to do. So he found out where she was living. She ended up shacking up with a guy. And because of the lifestyle that she was living in, because of the price of women, so to speak, during that time, they had no rights whatsoever. I can imagine the guy she ended up shacking up with was a, a pretty gross individual. And so Hosea hatches his plan. He knows this is going to be the thing that helps her understand that what she's doing is so wrong and she needs to go home and where she's really loved. And so he goes to the marketplace and he fills a sack full of food because he knows exactly what she likes. And he picks out a dress. He knows exactly her size. And he puts it all in the bag. And he gathers it up in his arms. And he goes to this guy's house. And he stands there in front of the door and musters up his courage and knocks on the door. And this guy comes to the door and opens the door. Says, yeah, what do you want? Hosea looks at him. He goes, sir, you're living with my, my wife. He goes, yeah, so what? What is that to me? He goes, well, listen, I, I know that... I know she's not doing very good. I know she's not eating very well. And so I, I bought this stuff. And before Jose could even finish, the guy grabs the bag out of his arms, pushes Jose back, and slams the door. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but I believe Jose probably went to a side window because he saw the whole scene play out in front of him. I can picture him there at the side window. His heart is pounding. He's like, this is going to be the moment. This is when she'll understand. This is it. He sees her come to the table where this guy had set the package down, the bag down with the food. And she reaches in, she pulls the food up, and a smile bursts across her face. She hasn't eaten like this in a while. And all of a sudden, she pulls this dress out. Her eyes begin to light up and sparkle. And she holds it up to herself, and she spins around. And she looks at this guy who's standing right there at the side of the table, and she runs, and she throws her arms around him and hugs him and kisses him. And he leads her to believe that he was the one not Hosea. He was the one who got all this stuff for her. I can imagine that Hosea, you could have knocked him over with a feather. He was absolutely destroyed. He left the house. He wandered back home. What else could he possibly do? Nothing. Time passes, the Bible doesn't say how much time he loses track of his wife, but I'm sure because he was a prophet of God, the man, he was taking it on the chin from people in the town as he would walk by and he's tried to speak and preach and they would say, hey, Hosea, where's your wife? Seen her lately? Ha <laughs> we have. And those words cut deep. At the end of one day, probably a pretty long day, they were probably all pretty long for Hosea in that time, He's just shuffling home and head down and he goes by an alleyway and he hears a commotion at the end of the alleyway, the other end, the opposite end. And so he stops and he looks and there's a crowd of people there and he looks closer and he's like, oh, it's, it's a slave auction. It was, it was horrible, it was awful, but it was commonplace. So it wasn't anything new for Hosea. So as he turned to walk away, all of a sudden there was an unusual roar of laughter as he heard the auctioneer say, Here's the next item up for bids. And everybody laughs. It caught Hosea's attention, so he stood there. And he's looking. And all of a sudden, there's something familiar about that person on the auction block. He gets closer. And all of a sudden, he realizes it's his wife. It's his wife. So he goes closer to the crowd. 
And again, they're all chuckling and laughing to themselves because she is an absolute disaster. Hey, if you think sin's a good time, read the story of Hosea. She's standing there. She is a shell of who she was. She looks a mess. She smells worse. She's bound. And the auction begins. And everybody's chuckling. No one's going to bid anything. For all of a sudden, a hand shoots up from the back of the crowd. I bid five shekels. Everybody turns around. They're like, oh, it's that crazy old prophet. Let's have some fun with them. We'll bid them up. We bid seven shekels. Hosea goes, I bid ten. This is unbelievable. This is crazy. He's nuts. Let's go. We bid, uh, we bid 12, 12 shekels for that. Hosea goes, I bid 14. This, this is unbelievable. We bid 15 shekels. At this point, I think Hosea probably ran out of money because he starts to bid grain. I bid 15 shekels and 10 bushels of grain. The crowd is stunned. You could have heard a pen drop. Finally, the auctioneer gathers himself and says, any more bids? Fine. Sold to that man in the back. Here's your prize, old man. And he kicks her off the homemade platform. Hosea catches her before she hits the ground. Everybody laughs, scorning him. He takes her off to the side, away from prying eyes, and it's just the two of them. She doesn't look up. Her tattered hair covers her face. She knows what she's in for. She's been there before. So she thinks. Then all of a sudden, something strange happens to her. She feels gentle hands undo the bindings around her wrist. And then she hears his voice. He says, sweetheart, she parts her tattered hair. She looks at Hosea. She goes, Hosea. He goes, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, you bought me? Yeah. You, you paid money for me? Yeah. Why? Why would you? I, I have nothing to offer. Look at me. I got nothing to offer you. And I believe with tears just streaming down his face. <laughs> he looks right at her. And he says, I've come for you today because I love you. And you're going to come home. And you're going to be mom to my children and your children. And you're going to be a wife to me. And you're going to come home to our home. I bought you today. I redeemed you today. I've come for you today. Because I've always loved you. And I love you still. And he puts his arm around her. And he takes her home. That is a small, tiny reflection of God's love for you and for me. Because we are going. We got absolutely nothing to offer God. We bring nothing to the table but our wretched sin, our stupid choices, the wreckage of our life. We got nothing to offer Him. And yet He comes to us and He redeems us with the most precious thing possible. 
the life of his own son. Jesus gave his life, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated, publicly proclaimed his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Put your name in there. Christ died for Wes. Christ died for you. As a public display, God says, this is how much I love you. This is the length that I will go to come after you. It's incredible. That's what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When we come to God and we realize that we have this hole in our heart and in our soul and we are separated from God and nothing in this world that is temporary fulfill it because nothing that is temporary can satisfy the eternal and we have a desire for the eternal and only God can fill that. And when we come to Him on His terms where we humble ourselves, we don't come in pride because we've got nothing to offer. Everything we have, He's given us. In Him we live, move, and have our being. Acts 17 tells us. When we come to him and we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from that. I put my faith in you. Jesus, save me. Come. Because you know what? Gomer could have said no. She could have stood there and she could have looked at Jose and said, forget it. I want to run back to this lifestyle. It would be insane for her to do that, right? How often do we do it? How often do we look at Jesus and say, I know you want me to go this way, but you know what? I'm going to choose this. I'm going to go back here. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. When we invite Christ into our lives, he connects us in a relationship with him. He gives us eternal life where our home in heaven is secure. And God says, I will now walk with you. And I want you to experience my love. I don't want you to just know it here. I want you to know it here. And I want you to experience it. And you know how that happens? The very next verse, verse 10. Verse 9 again, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, stay close, abide in my love. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Imagine this microphone stand as God. And he's just pouring his love at us. My obedience does not earn me God's love. It positions me to experience God's love. Your obedience doesn't earn you God's love. You can't earn it. It's a gift. But obeying God keeps you connected to that love. It positions you to experience it. So if this is God and he's pouring his love, when I obey him, I'm planting myself right here and I'm experiencing God's love for me. When I disobey him, I'm turning my back on him and I'm saying no. Is his love still there? Yes. Is it still coming? Yes. Do I experience it? No. I'm hampered. I'm hindered because my back is turned to him in my disobedience. Does he still love me? Yeah. Am I experiencing it? No. When I choose to say, Lord, I, I'm sorry, I, I repent, I turn, I turn instantly. I start to reconnect with God's love and I start to believe that this is actually true and that God is excited about me and that he is fired up about the life that he has planned for me on my hard days and on my great days. He's right here and I get to connect with him. And just like Hosea would go to those lengths to redeem his wife, God has gone to even greater lengths to redeem us. And he says, this is how much I love you. Will you dare to believe it? Will you dare to believe it 
and then let it impact you. Because once you get the love of God that he has for you, you're going to want to plant yourself in obedience. Because nothing over here is worth hanging on to missing this. hundred years from now, what's going to matter? hundred years from now, what's going to matter? What's going to matter is that we stay connected to the vine, that we're obeying God. And if that's what's going to matter then, it's what should matter now. God says, I love you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, Hosea's message is for you. Today, I've come for you. That's what Jesus wants you to hear. He won't force you, won't twist your arm, won't break your door down. He invites you. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. But you have to humble yourself to come before him and say, Lord, I need it. I want it. I want you. If you're here and you know Jesus, is there an area in your life where you're telling him no? Because every time we tell him no, we turn a little bit away from, from experiencing the love of God. And this is what God wants for you. This is what he wants for you. Is there an area in your life where you're telling him no? And you need to start telling him yes. Listen, I understand that. I understand that just being just super honest and real with you, you guys. I've been going through some, some stuff in my own life where I've been hanging on to stuff over here. You know, unforgiveness is one of the things. I've been hanging on to it. And God just really revealed to me as I've been, again, studying this story. He says, Wes, is it worth it? Is it worth hanging on to this so that you miss this? I'm like, that's crazy. I'm like, God, I want your blessing on my life. I want your love in my life. Hanging on to this is not worth it if I'm going to sacrifice this. So God's been doing a work in my heart, man. And I've, I share this with you in hopes that he will do the same for you because I want us to be right here with God so that we can have the life that he wants us to have and bear much fruit. His invitation is clear. The choice is up to us. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Thank you guys so much for your kind attention in the midst of the, the smacking of the pickleballs in the back. <laughs> just take a moment. What did the Spirit of God, who loves you passionately, what did He talk to you about and what do you need to do about it? What did He speak to you about and what do you need to do about it? Take a moment in the sanctuary of your heart. The enemy wants you to believe that God doesn't care about you. He only cares about you when you perform well. You know, when you do good things. That's not true. But you know what? We need our obedience. God doesn't need it. We need it. God uses it for sure. So what is it that God has talked to you about? Just take a moment and respond to him. Final question, it's about eyes closed. If you're here and you've never invited Christ in, I mean, you've never really given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've meant to. Maybe it was an idea, but you have never settled, really truly settled the issue in your life. You're like, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, come in, save me. I am all yours. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I'm all in. If that's you, and you want to make sure you're going to heaven, you want to make sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that can happen for you right now. Right now in this moment. Say, Wes, that's me. That's what I want. Then let me invite you to pray this prayer after me. Not out loud, in your heart. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart, that's prayer, 
that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's what you want, if you want to have a relationship with God, know you're going to heaven, then pray this after me. Not out loud, in your heart, mean the words as your own. Just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. You paid for my sin. My sin. You have life to give me. Eternal life. I want that. I want you. So I turn from my sin. I repent. And I turn to you. Come into my life. Right now. I surrender to you. I trust you. I'm all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. But if you just prayed that and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If no one look around, if you prayed that, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Hold it up nice and high just for a moment so I can acknowledge you because I want to remember you in a closing prayer. Somebody prayed for me. Man, I want to do that for you. If you just prayed it and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. Say, Wes, I just prayed it. I meant it. Here's my hand. Pray for me. If that's you, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. God bless you, man. Anybody else? Say, Wes, here's my hand. Pray for me. God just spoke to me and I just, I just commit my life to Christ. I'm in. I give it to Jesus. Anybody else before I pray for this? Father, thank you that you are good to your word. Help this one to know they've met business with you, you've met business with them. Thank you, God, that you settle that issue when we come to you in belief and in trust. Even with a little faith, that's enough. God, I pray you'd move in and make yourself so real. Father, I pray for the rest of us. God, if there's areas in our life where we're living in compromise or we're messing around and the enemy has convinced us that it doesn't matter or it's no use or whatever other lie he loves to smother us with, God, I pray that by your spirit you would cut through all that stuff and that your truth of John 15, 9 and 10 would just ripple through our life, God. And we would turn to you and we would say yes to you. And Lord, I pray that we would experience your love. We would be overwhelmed with your love, Jesus. Draw us back to this passage. Draw us back to the truth of Hosea. May our lives be different because we absolutely rock solid believe that you are for us, that you love us, and that you have a plan for our lives, God. And that that will never change in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, sings Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.